So we're three episodes in now, and the first two episodes have really focused on how do you get yourself together? How do you find inner strength when you've been beaten down over and over again? How do you find the will and the belief that you can change? And how do you get your mind into a place where you're not spiraling negatively? Right? But what is the point of becoming personally powerful? What is the point of trying and getting back up if the world is falling down around you? Why try at all? Really, what's the point? And that is what this episode is all about. This is how to cure your existential dread. This is The Fix. feel like we're screwed. It's getting really hard to care about regular life things. Okay. As always, I am preparing advice for a hypothetical version of my past self who has not yet learned the, tic- the tricks, tools, and solutions and fixes for how to navigate life, how to feel better, how to do better, how to get better, how to be happy, how to be productive, how to be healthy, mostly how to be happy. So, like I said in the intro, yo, what's the point of like getting, doing all the work to pull yourself together despite all the hits you've taken and all the reasons you have to stay down? What's the point of that if the whole world's going to crap anyway, right? You don't need me to give you any current events on uh, why you could be negative on the outlook of our human species. Really in the near, medium, or long-term time frame, you know, pick your poison. And I can pretty much guarantee that I am aware of more cataclysmic, and existential threats to our species than most of the people listening to this podcast. In fact, this is one of the topics that I feel pretty... I feel like I'm pretty far ahead of the curve on this one. That's not to brag or anything, because I'm going through this pain. Remember, I've dealt with this past even. I've already felt this pain and had to process it. I just went through it about two to three years ago. Um, A lot of people are going through this now, in 2022, if that's when you're listening to this. They are starting to feel this existential dread. They are starting to feel nihilistic. They're starting to feel like there's no reason to have hope. What are we all doing here? What is the point? of pretending to have a regular life when it feels like it could all come falling down on us at any point in time. You know? Okay, kids, have a good day at school. (laughs) We might all be disintegrated today. Like, hope not. By the way, what's for dinner? (laughs) You know, like, how do you reconcile? In this case, I'm teasing nuclear warfare. Um... And I'm, I'm provoking a little anxiety here in a podcast that is intended um, 
to be helpful and uplifting, if at all possible. But know that I tease only because I feel like I really do have the solutions, at least for me, you know, for my past self. And we're going to get into that in three parts. It's funny how it's always three parts, isn't it? So back to the point. I went through this existential crisis about two to three years ago, and it hit me very, very hard. I'm a futurist, meaning I just, I'm very excited about the future, and I follow technological trends. I play with things. I've been toying with AI for a long time. I've been following cellular agriculture and synthetic biology for a long time. I've been following quantum computing. I, I pay attention to everything cool and cutting-edge tech, and that gives me a window into futures that most people still don't realize how horrifying they are. Or could be. You know, technology is neutral. But there are some futures... Again, we're not going to... I don't want to provoke too much anxiety before providing, you know, um, some help to you, past self. But I need you to understand that I'm making light of this topic, but I went through the fire that you're feeling right now. I know what it feels like to feel like... Let's just... I won't dive into the deep thoughts the dark places you go when you're alone. But trust me, I've had the dark thoughts that you're having, and probably far worse. But anyway, it hit me really bad. I've got some journals that would be very interesting to dig up from that time period that really, really show just how far down I went when nothing was really happening in the world, right? Everyone else is kind of happy-go-lucky, but... All of the data, all of the logical predictions I could make about a handful, say five to ten different technological trends, showed some very scary possible outcomes that radically changed human existence in unspeakable, horrifying ways. If they were to come to pass. You know, these are worst-case scenarios, right? But those are the ones that keep you up at night. Those are the ones that give you this existential dread. And you know what I'm talking about. And I don't need to explain the details to you because you have run these simulations through your head. Just know that for every nuclear warfare scenario you think you know, there's five to ten more just as scary, if not scarier, ones that are either here, soon, or, you know, somewhere in the medium to long-term future. Pretty scary stuff. So I had to process all that. Doesn't feel good. All that to say, I have borne a very heavy weight that most regular people who just watch the news and are thinking, oh, there's a conflict happening. Oh, there's an immediate scary thing. Oh, what? A pandemic? Where did this come from? I had already lived these things in my head and a dozen more like them when these ones happened, and these were light, uh, in, in comparison to what my own brain was predicting the worst-case scenarios for. So I know what it's like to think these thoughts, and to truly, truly fear for tomorrow. Not just be hopeful for tomorrow, but to fear it, and to cling to today like a life draft, 
and to look at the past with unreasonable levels of envy. How safe they were, how simple it was. What I would give to go back there, to bring my kids back there, and how terrified I am of tomorrow. So, I know what it's like. And here is what I did to get to a point where I am now, which is, I still get worried sometimes, but I don't live in fear. I live a mostly normal life. Scary things scare me, but I don't live in dread. And I am hopeful, at least as much as I am sometimes worried, despite how many things I have to be worried about. And I'm often hopeful and happy more than I am scared and fearful. And I think that's a pretty good state to be in, because being scared and fearful is not, it's not actionable. It feels bad. It's a place of helplessness. It's a place of weakness. And for the most part, I feel in control. So, you know, we've talked about how to get personal control. This is, that was an internal struggle so far. But what about external stuff? Like, what are you supposed to do about that? Or what am I supposed to do about a world war? I don't know how to stop that. Or any number of other things that I'm not going to provoke anxiety with. What am I supposed to do about that? I'm just one person. How do I go about a regular life? How do I get my own crap together? You know, I've got all these problems. I don't even know how I'm supposed to deal with that in the face of these looming terrors. What am I supposed to do? All right, here's what you do. All right, so let's shift this away from how to get rid of ang existential dread and treat it more like, what do I do with this constant hum of anxiety? So here's how I think about the problem. And it's how I, my wife described it to me recently, and I thought it was perfect. She described the feeling as she wants to beat somebody up to protect the people she loves, including herself. She wants something to beat, to defeat, to claim victory over, to find resolution, to resolve and get closure so she can end this conflict. But when the conflict is climate change, for instance, there's nothing to punch, right? There's no, there's no, like, tiger to beat down. There's no, like, rival tribe. There's no, like, actionable near-term problem to solve to get closure. It's beyond the scope of what one individual can get closure on. So you're stuck in fight-or-flight mode. You're just stuck in this constant battle mode must defeat enemy, must protect, must save self, must be in survival mode. But there's no way to get closure. So you're stuck. You're kind of jammed in this constant anxiety state of like feeling like you need to fight for your life on some level, but also feeling like you need to turn in these reports and finish that project and take out the trash. How am I supposed to take out the trash when I'm worried what the world will even look like in a year or two or five years or ten years? Pick your timeline. What is even the point of any of this? We just pretending? How do we go on? All right, 
So let's narrow the problem to how do we get out of that fight or flight state? How do we get closure, resolution? How do we feel like, okay, I have control over this. I am not worried about this. This does not bother me more than it needs to. I feel like I can live a normal life in the face of some honestly scary things. How? All right. Step number one. And this is maybe something that most people don't consider. Anxiety is useful. You have it for a reason. It does something for you. Every single one of your emotions does something for you. Even the gross ones. They serve a purpose. Anger. Anger forces you to action, often quick action, to resolve problems. It gives you a fiery sort of motivation that is undeniable, that cuts through any thought of being lazy. It is pure and powerful, okay? Anger is the kind of thing that forces you to stand up for your most important values and most important people, okay? It's useful. What about greed? Greed is the thing that causes you to gather resources, to protect yourself, to keep yourself alive, to strive for more. Kind of blindly, kind of short-sighted, but it's powerful. It lets you not be lazy. It lets you be a long-term thinker. It motivates you to do things in ways you would not otherwise do if you had to rely on logic alone. Cold, calm logic doesn't have the same sort of burning, sort of black hole desire that greed has. It's much more powerful, and that makes it useful. Anxiety is like those things. It's a tool. So stop, stop resenting the parts of yourself that create anxiety as something to be squashed. Remember, remember the lies above the podcast. You're not broken. Anxiety is useful. It's doing something for you. Now, perhaps it's out of alignment. Perhaps you're feeling too much of it. Perhaps you're feeling it too often. Perhaps it's so much too often that it's not useful anymore. Kind of like a chronic pain syndrome. Like your nerves are useful. Feeling pain is useful. It tells you that there's something wrong with your body. But when you can do nothing about it, it ceases to be useful. So, point number one. Your anxiety has a purpose. What is it doing for you? How is it helping you? Let's just take climate change, for instance. It's a long enough timeline, enough people are involved in it that ironic <laughs> seems ridiculous. It's one of the safer ones to, ta to tackle here. So let's go with climate change, okay? What am I supposed to do about this, you know? How in the world am I supposed to do something about that? So your anxiety about climate change, if you should have it, if for some reason this is not one you're anxious about, and I'm actually quite optimistic about our ability to solve climate change problems. So maybe I fall in this camp. It will be hard, but that's beside the point. 
let's say this is your big anxiety. This is a big one for my wife, right? You feel that anxiety because you have rationally weighed the evidence. You have listened to experts. You have imagined the future. You have maybe even seen some effects in your own life. Depending on where you live, maybe you live in a hurricane area, maybe you're having more droughts, who knows, right? Maybe you live on an island that is a, has a rising sea level. I don't know, right? Maybe you've experienced some of this firsthand. Maybe you're just experiencing it in your head and you're looking at data. Who knows? But your brain has synthesized all of this information into an imagined future. And that imagined future looks bleak. So your anxiety is part of your survival mechanisms. It's an emotion that says, hey, this seems dangerous. Are you doing something about this? Hey, have you seen this? Look at this thing. We're kind of worried about these climate destabilization. We're kind of worried about like, I don't know, what if there's not enough food or water, you know, in 20, 30 years? What about our kids or grandkids? Hey, are you paying attention to this? What are you doing about this? That's what it's doing for you. When you start looking at your anxiety like that, as just like a helpful friend inside your head who's constantly like checking, like, hey, it looks like you're not doing anything about this threat. Like you seem to believe this is a real threat. And that's all that's important, by the way, is that you feel like it's a real threat, okay? And then another part of your brain goes, oh, wait a minute, you know, the rational long-term planner part of my brain, this guy over here says that, this is a serious threat and it's actually legit and that we should be scared. And so then it starts sounding the alarm. Of course it does. What would you expect it to do? This is, this is like, you know, you live in, living in a, a tribal camp somewhere, chilling in your teepees or whatever in your huts. And it's like, ah, uh, yeah, this is like, uh, there's a famine or like, yeah, there's a big drought. <laughs> like, Oh, okay. Or like, oh man, there's a big storm coming. Like, your anxiety is like a forecast. It's like a, a warning system. It spurs you to go do something to solve problems. Hey, sorry, dude, you can't chill in the hut today. Like, you need to like, I don't know, go bring the goats in or something, right? There's a big storm coming. Like, you should be anxious. Like, this is a big deal. Like, oh, what about this? What about that? It's the thing that gets you from being, prevents you from being complacent in the face of things that really should concern you. It keeps you alive. And it definitely kept your ancestors alive, which is why you have it. So first, let's just acknowledge that you don't want to get rid of this. Like maybe you want to tone it down to a healthy, actionable level again. But you don't want to get rid of it. I think we can agree on that, right? So it has a purpose. So this brings us to solution number one of three. One great solution, and this is something I've done in my life, is to listen to it. If you're anxious about the future, get specific about what you are most afraid of. Tap into the parts you're most afraid of, okay? And actually do something about it. And I don't mean go solve the source problem. You know, you're more than welcome to try and do that. And I think that's beautiful and noble. But I mean, like, protect yourself. Protect your family, right? That means thinking about, okay, let's give an example for climate change, okay? 
this would be like, hmm, well, we currently live in Arizona, for instance. Like, let's say that were true. Well, it looks like, based on, you know, forecasts of the future, that this is going to turn into, like, a Sahara Desert. <laughs> so we should probably plan ahead over the next 20 to 30 years, maybe 40 years. Who knows, right? We should make sure that our work is more mobile than it is right now. We should make sure that, like, we haven't invested everything into, like, real estate in this one area. Like, because it might get harder and harder. Think about, like, Las Vegas or something. Especially as, like, there's less and less rain there. Or parts of California. If they're desertifying, you know, whatever that term is, they're becoming arid, and it's becoming harder and harder to support large populations. You don't plan ahead for that. Oh, well, it looks like that might be happening. So how can we make our lives more mobile so that wherever we need to go, we're fine? You know, maybe that's learning some side gig, remote work skills. Maybe that's, I don't know, right? Finding, move, just traveling around to other places of the country that you think you might like to live or places in the world and saying, you know what? This is our backup place. I really love it here. And just having a place in your mind, an answer to the question, where would we go? Well, now you know. And that's a small thing, right? Whatever it means to you, food security, financial security, physical security, um, having a community that you feel can take care of you, having personal health. These are all having resources, having food, having water, having a way to get clean water, having backup power. All of these things are great ways to actually, literally, solve the problem of how are we protected in the worst case when things go wrong in the world around us? And it starts to, it's, it's an answer to the voice in your head that says, what are you doing about it? Well, you can say, I'm doing this, and I'm doing that, and I'm doing these things. And they don't protect me against everything, but I'm a heck of a lot safer now. And those voices will start to quiet down because you're serving the purpose you they're serving their purpose, right? You can resolve those things. You can begin to get closure on them because you're actually doing something about it. You're not just living on the edge, paycheck to paycheck, with no plans, just kind of hoping things work out for you. You actually have backup plans and backup backup plans. And it doesn't have to be super intense, right? You don't need a binder full of plans for everything. But maybe have three months worth of food in your pantry of dry goods. Maybe have like a life straw, like water filter. It costs like 10 bucks and it can filter like, what is it, like 5,000, 10,000 gallons of water from anything, viruses, all that. Like, that's pretty cool. It cost you 15 bucks and now you know you have water for months, potentially. Like, that's pretty awesome. Um, you know, whatever it is, have an awesome, a good first aid kit in your house. Like, there are things you can do that literally do make you safer. And I think that's the real key point here. Do the things that actually make you safer. And then the parts of your brain <laughs> that are like have real reason to be concerned, well, they kind of have to shut up because you have actually made yourself safer in some way. 
So that's, that's the first answer, is listen to your anxiety. It's trying to tell you something, okay? But that's not all of it, right? Because there are still things you can't control. There are still so much that's out of your hands, no matter how much you prepare. And that can become a very slippery slope of thinking that you can solve every problem, even at the small scale, and protect you or your family or friends against everything. That's not possible. Okay, so that's where the next two solutions come in. So the first one, I mean, it seems so silly to say that the advice to being anxious and worried about your problems is, well, to start doing something about them. But on the individual scale, right? You know, put your mask on first, right? In the airplane scenario. And then you can start worrying about helping others if you can. The second way that I have learned to handle existential dread of all kinds, this fear that we're all screwed, we're doomed, right? Besides making me and my family safer by taking real steps that actually make us safer, the other thing I do is I found that I tended to dwell on negative outcomes, I had no trouble imagining ev imagining every single thing could, that could go wrong. It was very easy to imagine Terminator. It was very hard to imagine the positive version of Terminator, where everyone's super chill, living in utopia, right? Because AIs basically solve our biggest problems, right? And yet, those are just opposite ends of the same spectrum, right? If technology is neutral, and we don't know what the outcome of something is going to be, why do we mostly only forecast the negative outcomes? Now, I know why. We are slightly negative long-term bias. Like, that's just... In a world where your species has been fighting for survival <laughs> since inception here, like, it pays to be slightly pessimistic and negative and assume the worst so that you're always prepared, right? Nature has not prepared us to be happy. Happy is an active thing. That's going to be a recurring theme throughout this podcast. And if you're one of those people that, like, happy is a passive thing for you, well, first of all, you're not listening to the fix. So <laughs> they're not listening to this. For the rest of us, and especially for me, happiness is an active thing. It requires constant, deliberate strategy implemented daily, right? That is the only way I know how to be happy, is by being proactively tactical, basically. I, I figured out the tools, the levers I need to pull to be happy. And there's a lot of them, and it's complicated. But, I mean, what else are you going to do? Huh? It's worth the effort, right? Because you feel good at the end of it. You want to feel good? You got to do the work. I don't know any other way. So, never mind the negativity bias. We can choose to forecast positive outcomes. And like I said, when we don't know what the outcome is yet, and technologies are mostly neutral, we don't know how events will play out. We must choose to forecast positive outcomes. All right? Let's start thinking about, oh man, it's going to be great when we have peace in a couple of years here. Oh, it's going to be awesome when we have these life-saving medicines from SynBio in a couple of years here. Wow, how cool will it be to have all of these awesome affordances from AI? Think of all the incredible scientific research we'll be able to automate and how rapidly we can improve the world, right? Once we can start to automate away horrible 
mundane jobs where no human should be doing them, right? Let's put some simple AI in place and start letting humans focus on the beautiful aspects of life. Those are all awesome scenarios to forecast, and they're all just as realistic as the terrifying ones. So the answer here is start forecasting hope. And my advice is to start with something that feels true. Much like when we talked about trauma, where I asked you to tell a story that you felt was actually true. The same as forecasting the future. These outcomes that scare you the most, pick one or two of them that you constantly come back to and dwell on. Let's go back to climate change as our example. Instead of thinking, in 20 years, you know, my suburb is going to be a desert. In 30 years, you know, it's, there's nobody going to be living anywhere near here. And we're all going to have migrated, and it's going to be too hot to live anywhere on this part of the continent. Who knows, right? Instead of forecasting those models, why don't you forecast, well, actually, we did a buttload of geoengineering, which we know how to do, and yeah, it's sort of complicated, and we're not sure how it'll work out, and wow, we did all of these incredible bioengineering programs in order to preserve diversity, um, biodiversity of life, and we found all these really cool ways to grow crops indoors, and we have more and healthier and cleaner food than we've ever had as a result. We've become way, way more efficient, and we're starting to get a handle on the biggest parts of climate change now, 20 years into the future. Just through pure engineering and scientific might, and yeah, you know, maybe we turned around the bus a little too late, but... At last, now that the problem is staring humanity in the face, we can actually start solving it. We're making incredible progress. And yes, it's difficult. And man, I really wish we had taken an ounce of prevention so that we did not have to take a pound of treatment for the cure. But whatever, like, we're solving this problem. And the world is looking really cool. And we have so many things to be excited about. That future is very possible, and yet we spend almost no airtime in our brains on that possible future. At least in my mind, that's just as realistic. So I make a deliberate, deliberate effort to watch the ratio of concern, which by the way, forecasting bad events is still useful, but the next time you find yourself dwelling on a horrific future scenario, ask yourself, am I just ruminating? Like, am I just running over old ground over and over again in my head and feeling bad? Or am I, like, exploring some new avenue, like a new threat I need to think about, some new thing I need to plan around? Remember, keep that focus on what can I do? What can I plan around? How can I preempt this? How can I prepare? Right? Keep that mindset throughout, even when you're thinking about these future scenarios. But just like we do with negative thoughts, short circuit. And just ask that question, is this useful? Or am I just like ruminating here and just like stewing in misery? I think you'll find, man, I'm just like basically being pessimistically imaginative. I'm going to like, what is like a hopeful scenario here? Like, how could this go right? There are solutions. Start thinking about those and imagining them. And what you'll find is that the more you do that, your brain stops painting everything in black. The future is darkness. And it starts 
painting things in shades of gray again, which is what they really are, right? We're not all doomed. We're not all promised save to be saved either here. So, but it's grays, you know? It's good and bad. Like, and the outcomes are unknown. The story is not yet written. So we need to stop acting like it has already been written as basically a terrible ending. We're still writing it. Why have we given up? Right? Yes, there's reason to be terrified, but there's also incredible things that could happen too. And this is less about motivating yourself to get up and like go solve world problems. I'm talking about stop imagining only terrible endings exclusively because that's not right either. Start imagining some good endings and start with the ones that feel plausible to you. And you'll find that your mood changes and you get that hope back. You live in existential dread every day. You feel like nothing matters and it's all coming down around you. This sort of abstract terror. Like, dread really is the right word. Like, there's something wrong and we're all just pretending. We're all just pretending and just waiting for the music to stop. That feeling goes away when you start actually believing there are positive ways out here, almost irrespective of the odds. Just feeling like, actually, you know, there are good outcomes quite possible here. And the more you actively imagine them, the more your brain will stop pretending like you've already lost. Because that's what being doomed really is. You're just waiting to lose. But that's not reality. And you can begin to convince yourself of that emotionally. You need to feel it. It's not just logic. When you imagine these positive scenarios playing out over and over again, you begin to internalize them as real possibilities again. And you stop feeling like you're doomed, and you start feeling like... Remember challenge framing versus threat framing? Okay, this is going to be hard... But we have a real shot here, me personally and my family, but also like as a species, like we have a real shot here. And that's a big difference between from feeling like it's all doomed and we're all screwed. Having a real shot and feeling like you have a challenge in front of you is a hopeful, sometimes stressful and worrisome state of mind. But remember, number one, anxiety has a purpose. Should we all feel good about massive problems facing our species? No, we probably shouldn't feel great about that. We probably should be a little anxious from time to time. That's useful. It keeps us on edge. It keeps us, you know, actually working towards making them not real problems. Working towards those good outcomes we keep imagining. So we don't want the anxiety totally gone. But we can start to level it back down to a healthy amount by imagining the future positive scenarios again. When is the last time you looked up? What are some good things that are going to happen in the next five to ten years? Go do a search for that, okay? And I think you'll start to come away a little more hopeful. And you'll start to feel it, most importantly. Right? That's where you need to get, is where you have this sense that Okay, this is tough, but we can do it. And that's about where I am in life. 
Alright, finally, the third biggest thing that has helped me. Because, you know, there are still some things that are just like a dice roll, you know? Like, we've prepared, we've planned, we've strengthened ourselves and our communities as much as we reasonably can. Or like, we're on our way, like we're doing stuff about it, number one. I am addressing the anxiety to the best of my ability. Number two, I am forecasting the good stuff too. I don't live in the absolutes of ridiculous delusional positivity or ridiculous delusional negativity. I come at the world like more rational, more nuanced. The game is not over yet, not by a long shot, but it is going to be challenging. And that's okay. Um, there are some scary outcomes possible, but there are some good outcomes possible too. And I make time to imagine the good ones because those are still real too. They still can be. But not if we just like, we all assume that we need to give up. We're not doomed unless we think we're doomed. Like, this is so silly. Of course good things can still happen. We just kind of forgot. And we need to remind ourselves and run our imagination back through the paces again. Like, oh yeah, remember good things? <laughs> Those can happen on the grand scale too. I think the James, Webb's tele James Webb telescope was one of those recently. I think it shocked a lot of people who paid attention to that kind of thing. Like, oh, wait a minute. We still do things, remember? Oh, yeah, I forgot about that. Look at that. That's pretty cool. Somewhere out there, there are still people working on cancer cures. And by the way, I won't get into it. They're getting closer than ever. Like, immunotherapies are incredible. Stem cell research, anti-aging... Oh my gosh, we are making so much progress in so many places. It's incredible. Um, genomics, wow. There's some crazy cool stuff coming down the pipe, okay? There is good reason to be hopeful. But there are still some things that, like, you know, we just can't... It's just, there's long odds terrible things that could happen. You know, this is like your proverbial uh, asteroid hitting the earth like yeah like the future is not promised and this is the fix so i'm not going to make you more anxious than you already feel you already know like of course like bad things can happen outside your control no matter how much like you're hopeful no matter how prepared and like individual individually secure we are there are just some things that like man yeah that is possible we could have an asteroid hit us before our satellite defenses are in place by the way Spoiler, this is actually not a huge problem anymore. Our monitoring of near-Earth uh, objects is getting better and better over time. We have a lot of really sophisticated um, survey equipment in place now. And you can actually thank the United States government for this one. Pretty cool, huh? <laughs> yeah, we actually put some money into that. And yeah, now we monitor most of the near-Earth uh, objects. Um, and we're, we're categorizing more all the time. Uh, we're doing a full survey. And you know, as that gets better and better... Uh, the chances of anything hitting us without having time to prepare. And by the way, they're working on actual um, collision plans, like blowing stuff up, like, in, uh, what is it called? Uh, uh, the movie with Bruce Willis. You know what I'm talking about. So that one, again, like, we're doing stuff. It's happening. You're just not paying attention to it. You're seeing mostly negative stuff. And it colors how we see the world. But... So let's use the asteroid example. Now that you know, 
that you actually should be less anxious about this one because it's almost a solved problem. Like, actually, our chances of dying to an asteroid have gone way, way, way down recently, and they're going to keep going down closer and closer to zero over the next 5, 10, 20 years uh, because, yeah, we're kind of solving this one. So, cool, pat on the back. So let's use that as the example. Let's say that asteroid comes, right? Let's say we hadn't done this preparation and you really did need to be worried for some reason. How do you make peace with that, right? How do you square the fact that you need to take out the trash and that you need to make your kids lunch and that you want to plan your summer vacation and that you want to think about your 401k, which comes due, I don't know how old you are, in 20, 30, 40, 10 years, right? Who knows, right? How do you plan 40 years ahead while also holding in your head that you could be your planet could be obliterated by an asteroid from a rock moving at, you know, relativistic speeds through um, space. How do you square those two things together? <laughs> we could be vaporized, but also, what about my 401k match? Hmm, what will the value of my portfolio be in 30 years? How do we plan ahead for that? Um, and here's how I did it. And I found that my biggest hangups were mostly around my kids, but also me and my wife, right? This is here too. I had this unreasonable desire to protect them from everything, that they must have incredible lives that were better than mine, and that I must protect them from everything in the world. I had this emotional feeling that my job as protector and teacher is to beat off every threat from the world, just to defend it all away, to guarantee that their lives could be incredible. Not in like a toxic way, like they need to be super achievers, but like that they could live full, rich lives that were better than ours. But that's kind of unreasonable. We're not superheroes, you and I, you and me. <laughs> We're just regular people. Our parents are just regular humans. We're the peasantry, essentially. I mean, we, we're all regular people. Any, even any one billionaire or world leader on their own is literally just, just a meat machine like the rest of us. right? Some fancier clothes and a fancy title and a fancy building, but ultimately mortal, far from invincible, and on the grand scheme of things, not really that individually powerful. All right, so let's all just make peace with the fact that we are very limited. Our grandparents are limited. They're all, we're all just regular people who showed up on a rock one day. We were given no rules. We just kind of appeared here. And some of us made more of us. And we just kept doing that for a long time. Nobody really knows what's going on. There are a lot of people who are pretty sure they have an idea. But realistically, like, at least on this side of life, you know, maybe some people think you'll get more answers on death. Well, I guess we'll find out. But that's not really the point. The point is, nobody really knows what's going on here. Okay? Not here. Not right now. <laughs> it's all a big mystery. And we don't really have that much control. So... Can we just stop pretending like we can actually control massive events, like, on an individual level? 
Now, I believe individual humans are capable of a lot, way more than they give them credit for, give themselves credit for. It's a big part of why this podcast exists. And I think humanity as a species is way, way, way more capable than we give ourselves credit for. And who are we measuring ourselves against? We should be, like, look at the foxes. What the heck have foxes done for the world, you know? Have they done anything impressive recently? Huh? What about, what about tapeworms? What are tapeworms doing about climate change? Oh, they didn't cause it? Well, yeah, okay. Well, they wouldn't stop an asteroid either. You know who would? We would. Yeah, we solved that, remember? Backpat. That's right. Tapeworms didn't do crap. It's like, who are we comparing ourselves to? We're pretty impressive, but on an individual level? Yo, I don't know. We just showed up one day. <laughs> Nobody knows what's going on. Nobody has all the answers. We're not all-powerful. We're not superheroes. So I decided to stop holding myself to an unreasonable standard that my kids specifically for me, had to have a life that was better than mine, had to have anything. It's And like I told my wife, that the kids actually, children actually are not bothered by the way the world is. They have no preconceptions. They, I don't know if you've interacted with a kid lately, but like the reason they're not jaded is because they're not holding on to any idea of what the world should be. They're not cynical and disillusioned because they have no concept for what it should be. They take it as it is. And they're still joyful and excited and eager. Like, they're just so flexible. And we could learn a lot from children in this way. Because they stop holding on to what they thought the world should be. Because they never did that in the first place. They're just excited for whatever is yet to come. Okay? And that when we... So we can just lower the bar to... What about for ourselves and for our families and for our children, for our communities, for our species? We lower the bar to... Let's do what we can. Right? On the, on the chessboard, we can only make so many moves. And... If the proverbial asteroid hits us, so be it, you know? Let's just make the best moves we can. And if at the end of things, it turns out we were not able to stop the proverbial asteroid hitting our planet, so be it. You know, we lived full lives. We tried our best. We made all the moves we could. And I know that sounds weird, and this is very Zen, right? This is, this is, this is also a very Stoic concept. And I think this, this also relates directly to the Serenity Prayer. That's actually one I like a lot. Um, I can't remember the actual prayer. I'm sure people listening to this can. Um, but the, the the basic concept is that I want the wisdom to know the difference between the things I can control and the things I can't control. And when I can't control something, I let it go. I'm at peace with the things I cannot control. I do not hold myself to a standard where I have this delusion, this pretense, this insanity that I can control things I cannot. Because the real pain there is that every single second before this asteroid hits the Earth and wipes us all out, let's just say it was going to happen regardless, 
You lived a life of angst and lack. You were in the gap. You spent most of those moments feeling like you were out of control, like you were in fear, like it wasn't good enough, like the world sucked, your life sucked. You were terrified of every tomorrow, and thus you ruined every today. This is sort of like saying, savor the moment, you know, carpe diem, but it's more like, yes, let's try to make tomorrow better. Yes, let's take our problems seriously. Let's imagine a beautiful future. But also, if we lose the game on an individual or even a collective level, all right, so be it. So long as we played well, so long as we lived well, it's okay. Because in the game of life, every single player up until now has died. Every single player in the game of life has died. There have been no winners. If your measure is that we must protect ourselves from everything, that everything must be better, enriching, fulfilling, go on forever, that we suffer no terrible fates, then your, your premise is doomed. That's not possible. So far, everyone dies. Everything falls apart. Does that mean it has no purpose? This is getting very philosophical. But these are the thoughts I had to go through. I needed to know that I should not hold myself to a standard of believing I can control things that cannot be controlled. That's insanity. And the worst part is it prevents me from enjoying the life I do have. It prevents me from seeing what control I actually have and taking action on those things. And most importantly, it makes me feel better now because the final part of getting rid of existential dread, of quieting these anxious voices that are saying, we're all screwed. How can I focus on everyday life when I feel like there's a guillotine hanging over me? Well, it's only a guillotine if you, if you frame it that way. Because you feel like you have this erroneous belief that you can do anything about it. The moment... Just remove it from your consciousness, almost. You need to let go of the things that are outside of your circle of control. Recognize what is and is not inside of your control. And then the parts of your mind that are scrambling to try and figure out what to do about it can slowly quiet down because it's not something they need to take action on. There's no action to take. It's okay. Let those parts of your mind focus on the things you can control. And that's what they'll do. They'll navigate naturally to the parts of your life, of the world's problems, of your problems, that you feel like you can get some traction on, that you can do something about, that are worth imagining good and bad scenarios for. And you'll stop worrying so much about the kinds of things that you never had any control over. 
It is literally pointless to worry about them. It does nothing. In fact, the act of worrying about them is one person feeling pain for no benefit. It doesn't do anything, and you must work to let it go. Because the only true crime here, if you want to take it back into something you can control, the only true crime is that you spoil the time you have in fear over things you cannot change. And that is the final part of how to deal with this existential dread, is that you must choose to stop living in fear over things you can never control because it destroys the value your quality of life. And that's it. I can think of no better reason <laughs> to stop worrying about things you can't control because it's killing your quality of life. That's why we do it. Remember, this is not a passive thing. It's not a one and done. Happiness is directed. It is action. It requires you to be proactive. And by default, you will slip into unease, into unhappiness, into anxiety, into fear. This is our natural sort of pessimistic negative bent. That's just how it works. At least that's how it works for me and for you, past self. And that's okay, because all it requires is you to notice that you have slipped and go, ah, here I am worrying about things I can't control again. I don't do that because, well, it makes me feel bad. And what is the purpose of feeling bad over something I can't change? I'm going to change what I'm worrying about to the things I can change. And I'm going to do something about them so that I start to feel better and I can feel like I have control and that those voices can quiet down. And I'm going to start imagining the beautiful things. I'm going to start looking for evidence of awesome stuff. I'm going to stop dwelling so much on the negative outcomes over and over again when I'm not actually learning anything from it anymore. I'm just kind of surfing a terrible wave of the future. You could be surfing an awesome future in your head. So do those three things, and you will find that while you still worry about the world's problems, you mostly worry about how they will affect you and the people you care about. You worry, and you want to do something about it. And then you find things in your life you can do to make those worries mostly go away. And every now and then, new information will pop up, and you'll consider it. And, you know... That's basically it. Keep doing those things. Remember, it's active. It will take time to sort of unravel these habits of nihilism and dread and hopelessness. It's an active thing to build hope and happiness back up again. It's an active thing to focus on what you can control and actually doing stuff about the, the worries you have that make you feel more secure so that they start going away. It's an active thing to stop dwelling on things you can't control that feel bad. And you'll find that you start thinking about normal stuff again. You start doing normal stuff again. Your brain isn't so tied up trying to solve problems that you are doing nothing about or that you can't solve or that were never going to happen in the first place. 
Let it focus on the things you can actually do, and then remove the rest, and you will find that you worry just the right amount. This has been The Fix. Thank you.